0: Section fourteen of the Major Symptoms of Hysteria. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Major Symptoms of Hysteria by Pierre Janet. Lecture fourteen The Hysterical Stigmata, The Retraction of the Field of Consciousness, The Common Stigmata. Other Proper Hysterical Stigmata Absent Mindedness the contraction of voluntary movements, subconsciousness, transfers and equivalences, alternation, the elementary phenomena of consciousness, personal perception, conscious synthesis, the field of consciousness, its variations, the retraction of the field of consciousness, the common stigmata, the feelings of incompleteness, the need of excitation, the need of attracting attention, lapses of the mental functions, the weakness of attention, emotional disturbances, troubles of the will the incapacity of beginning or of stopping the lowering of the mental level the role played by suggestion in hysteria is beginning to be known and i shall no longer raise too many protestations by presenting to you suggestion as a hysterical stigma but i think it is well to go farther we should not explain the whole of this so complex disease by this single phenomenon for the present i confine myself to remarking that in the mental dispositions of these patients there are to be found other facts of at least equal importance these other fundamental phenomena are also stigmata to my mind only i propose to you to divide them into two classes among these stigmata some deserve to be called proper they have the same properties as suggestion itself they are phenomena that exist in hysteria but scarcely exist in any other disease the others might be called common stigmata for the following reason. No doubt they present themselves among hystericals, and often in a high degree, but they do not exist solely among these patients, and they are to be found in other mental affections, in particular in the psychosthenic neuroses, which are closely akin to hysteria, though different from it. Let us dwell on the other stigmata proper, which are added to suggestion, and devote a few words to the common stigmata which allow us to connect the neurosis we consider with the other disturbances of the mind. 1. Suggestion, let us not forget, is the development of an idea. It implies a positive phenomenon, the presence of an idea in the mind of the subject. We cannot connect with suggestion things that take place without the subject's being at all aware of them, without his realizing them either consciously or subconsciously. Now I do not believe that everything in hysteria is in relation with the thought of the subject there are in these patients attitudes dispositions that not only are not intentional but that are in relation with no thought of the patients i should like to put in the first rank of these phenomena a very singular disposition of mind for which we have not even a very clear expression namely a disposition to indifference to abstraction to quite exaggerated absent-mindedness the fact is this while paying attention to something we turn from some other thing and cease to interest ourselves in other phenomena which however reach our minds while i am paying attention to what i am reading i abstract myself from the noises in the street though i still perceive them this abstraction exists in hysteria in an astonishing degree it was noticed early that it presents itself in regard to the sensations and to ideas these patients appear to see but one thing at a time and you become aware that they have no notion of another object though it be very near the first When they speak to one person they forget that there are others in the room. They forget them so entirely that they would tell all their secrets before them with indifference. When they express some idea you notice that their conviction is childish. It seems very strong because it rests on an astonishing ignorance. Objections, impossibilities, contradictions do not reach their minds in the least. The same limitation was observed in their movements from the first. They can perform but one action at a time. The first indication you perceive of a mental disturbance with many girls is their incapacity to do in spite of their good will more than one errand at a time this fact may even be made in some sort experimental here is an experiment that i have described under many forms and that monsieur pic of prague has developed you ask one of these patients to make a certain movement continually for instance to make on the table with her right hand the movement of playing on the piano It is agreed that she must not discontinue this little movement whatever may happen at the same time you ask her to perform some other simple acts to open her mouth to shut her mouth to recite numbers you always remark that the first movement the piano playing stops as soon as the second begins and that it only recommences at the end of this second movement yet the subject had made up her mind to continue this movement she had this idea in her head but it became impossible for her as soon as she tried to do something else it is this besides that gives a special appearance to all their accidents by the side of the positive phenomenon consisting in the development of the somnambulic idea in convulsions in persistent emotions there was a kind of lacuna a complete oblivion of the present situation an indifference to ridicule an insensibility to fatigue all of which we should not have had in their place one would think that these subjects when once ill forget all that is outside their present accident they do not remember having been in another state they do not conceive that one can be in another state hence that resignation that absence of effort which surprised us the exaggeration of this disposition will bring about the phenomenon of subconsciousness a great many things will exist outside the personal consciousness you will be able to make the patients walk and act unknown to themselves If the ideas you express do not attract their attention, and if they remain in that domain of absent-mindedness, it will result in mediumship, as we saw before that the development of the ideas results in great somnambulisms. Can we say that this disposition to exaggerated absent-mindedness is a consequence of the preceding symptom of suggestion? In fact it is not so, for absent-mindedness is not suggested to these patients and often is not even noticed. They have not the idea of this phenomenon the importance of which they do not suspect this singular absent-mindedness is mostly noticed by those around them or by themselves only very late several years after it has begun to develop itself on the other hand it is difficult to understand how suggestion which is precisely the development of an idea could explain this absent-mindedness which is indifference to an idea a tendency to suppression Lastly, suggestion itself appears to me to depend on that disposition, and to be much oftener its effect than its cause. It is precisely because the subjects have forgotten everything, because they are no longer restrained by any sensation, by any thought relative to the reality that surrounds them, that they allow the ideas suggested to them to develop freely. Suggestion and absent-mindedness do not produce each other, they are two parallel stigmata, one of which cannot exist without the other this special absent-mindedness is a stigma peculiar to hysteria first of all you do not find it in the normal individual normal consciousness as philosophers say is always a fully illuminated point surrounded by a strong penumbra with the hysterical the penumbra is wanting this fact is brought into evidence by their quite peculiar visual field you do not find in any normal individual that odd vision which sees very clearly in one point and sees nothing around this point nor is this absent-mindedness to be met with in the same fashion in the other maladies of the mind individuals who are tired are inattentive but their minds are vaguely on the stretch no doubt they search into nothing but they have a vague notion of everything their sensibility is attenuated i grant but it is distributed over the whole of their body their vision is diminished but their visual field remains broad in a word the symptom i wish to describe to you is not inattention it is a suppression of all that is not looked at directly and i do not believe that it is to be found in this form in the other diseases of the mind so i make it a stigma proper to hysteria as suggestion itself a third phenomenon which besides depends on the preceding ones will make you understand these strange stigmata still better it is the phenomenon of transfers and equivalences i was seeking one day to cure a small localized accident to restore the motion of the right wrist with a patient whose fist was contractured you know that to succeed one must strongly direct the attention of the subject to the diseased organ which she has forgotten determine sensations in it move it passively in every way then when the motion has been a little restored induce the subject voluntarily to move this wrist this work is long and troublesome and has to be begun over and over again with hystericals when it has proceeded for some time the result seemed marvellous the right hand had opened and moved freely in every way the patient left the laboratory very happy and proud she re-entered it a few moments later in despair it was not worth while making such efforts she said presenting her left fist which was contracted exactly in the same way as her right fist had been a few minutes before i have cited this adventure because it struck me by the circumstances in which it occurred namely in a quite naive patient having no notion of the phenomenon and without the operator or herself having had the least idea of it beforehand You know that the result is not always like that. During a certain period, from 1875 to 1890, this phenomenon, which is called transfer, was very much sought after and often provoked artificially. It was said to be brought about by the mechanical action of certain substances. Thus the magnet had preeminently the power of provoking transfers. To cure a paralysis of the right side, a big magnet was placed in the bed of the patient near her right side. The paralysis was then found to disappear on that side, and to become localized on the left side. When the magnet was withdrawn, the paralysis reappeared on the right side, and after several oscillations of this kind, it vanished. Other substances, metals in particular, sometimes the electric current, had similar effects, and transferred symmetrically from one side to the other the disturbances of sensibility as well as those of motion. You remember that this phenomenon was very much studied by Burke and dumont who ascribed to it very odd laws some physicians said they had found the means to make the oscillations either slow or rapid to fix the disturbance on one side or the other etc others went even further they invented the change of the color sensations which were transformed into their complementary colors the patients after having seen red saw green after having seen yellow they saw violet they called this polarization and by means of the magnet tried to polarize also the feelings lastly for absurdity has no limits they tried to transfer a phenomenon from one subject to the other they placed two subjects back to back and thanks to the magnet the paralysis of the first passed into the second and after a few oscillations disappeared it became a convenient therapeutic process no doubt there are in all this many childish errors many of these observations are phenomena of suggestion and training they depend on the direction that is given to the attention of the subject This could not but be gradually recognized, so that in science as in politics we saw a violent reaction. The very notion of the phenomenon of transfer was suppressed, and the fact that there is some little truth in it was overlooked. In my opinion this passage of an accident from one side to the other is not necessarily the result of a suggestion. It sometimes takes place unknown to the subject and to the operator, and that very naturally it is a very particular application of a disposition which is very general with the hysterical and of which a thousand other applications are to be observed namely the disposition to equivalences hysteria in fact is a very singular malady the cure of which one never dares assert it is often easy through some psychological process or other to cause such or such a determinate accident to disappear besides these accidents often disappear of themselves in consequence of an emotion of some shake Or even without reason but when an accident has disappeared especially when it has disappeared too quickly we should not at once cry out victory first of all the same accident is very likely to soon reappear then the following strange thing very frequently occurs another apparently quite different accident takes the place of the first a girl of twelve presented incoercible vomitings which had brought her to a very serious state of inanition thanks to certain excitations of the sensibility during a somnambulic state i succeeded in making her eat with more sensibility in regularizing her deglutitions and she no longer vomits this seems all right but from that moment this girl till then perfectly intelligent enters into a state of mental confusion and delirium and it becomes impossible to stop this delirium without the vomitings beginning again Let us remark by the way that this singular alternation between disturbances of the stomach and deliriums is one of those that are oftenest observed i have noted down five fine examples of them but other identical facts are to be observed one patient has contractures in her limbs and when the contractures disappear mental disturbances another has hysterical coughing and alternating with it crises of sleep a man had a foot contractured in the position called varus He was cured through somewhat mysterious processes which frightened him he could now walk freely but he lost his voice for three months when his voice returned he had gastric accidents and abdominal contractures in another case the contractures of the trunk were healed and replaced by phenomena of amorosis and so on indefinitely the accidents seem to be equivalent and to have the property of bearing on one side or the other provided they exist somewhere You would think that the subject can choose but cannot do without a disturbance localized in some place or another if you understand this law of equivalence as well you will see that the transfer from the right side to the left side is but a particular case of it it is even a particularly simple form of equivalence for the sensations of the symmetrical parts are very similar and can very easily be replaced by one another no doubt in many diseases of the mind we observe instability but this quite special form of instability, which replaces one definite accident by another apparently quite different, and that suddenly and clearly, is again very characteristic. I think it results from a general disposition of the hysterical mind, which urges it to move in its entirety to one side, while neglecting the rest of the body and mind, then to move in its ensemble in another direction, while forgetting the first. This is connected with the preceding phenomenon of suggestion. And constitutes the last of the stigmata peculiar to hysteria that i wish to point out to you two can we summarize these three stigmata suggestion absent-mindedness and alternation into a single general idea that will enable us to conceive the essential character which manifests itself in these mental troubles i proposed formally to characterize this mental state by an expression that is perhaps singular but that may be serviceable you will find it in my work on the Psychological Automatics in 1889, and in my book on The Mental State of Hystericals eighteen ninety four, which was very well translated into English by Mrs. C. Rowland Corson in 1901. I proposed to summarize this somewhat peculiar mental state by the words, Retraction of the Field of Consciousness. Let us try to understand the meaning of this general expression. The word consciousness, which we use continually in studies on the mental state of our patients, is an extremely vague word, which means many different things. When we use it in particular to designate the knowledge the subject has of himself, of his sensations and acts, it means a rather complicated psychological operation, and not an elementary and irreducible operation, as is generally believed. If I say, for instance, I feel a pain, I feel that I move my arm, they take place in my mind rather complicated phenomena which we can analyze in the following manner in the first place there occurs somewhere in my brain on the occasion of an outer excitation a small fact both physiological and psychological which corresponds to a phenomenon of pain to an elementary sensation of motion the great physiologist herzen said that the brain may be compared to a spacious hall filled with innumerable small electric lamps from time to time certain little lamps kindle here and there this is what is designated by the isolated words sensation of pain sensation of vision sensation of motion in the scheme i have drawn figure twenty one each separate little cross of the upper line designates one of those little phenomena v v prime, v double prime when it is a question of the vision t t prime t double prime when it is a question of the sensations of touch and so on but the complete consciousness which is expressed by the words i see i feel a movement is not completely represented by this little elementary phenomenon. It contains a new term, the word I, which designates something very complicated. The question here is of the idea of personality, of my whole person. It is the union of present sensations different from the little sensation considered, from all past impressions, from the imagination of future phenomena. It is the notion of my body, of my capacities, of my name, of my social position, of the part I play in the world it is an ensemble of moral political religious thoughts it is a world of ideas the most considerable perhaps that we can ever know for we are far from having made the tour of the domain of personality there are then in the i feel two things in presence of each other a small new psychological fact a little flame lighting up feel and an enormous mass of thoughts already constituted into a system i these two things mingle combine and to say i feel is to say that the already enormous personality has seized upon and absorbed that little new sensation which has just been produced if we dared and it is not altogether absurd we should say that the eye is a living animal extremely voracious a sort of amoeba which sends out tentacles to seize and absorb a very small creature which has just been born at its side after having represented in the first line of our schema the elementary sensations or affective states or simply subconscious phenomena, we represent secondly a reunion, a synthesis of all these elementary phenomena which are combined among themselves, and particularly combined with the vast and prior notion of personality. It is only after this sort of assimilation that we can truly say, I feel. I formerly proposed to designate this new operation by the name of personal perception, pp, for it is indeed a perception, that is to say, a clearer and more complex consciousness. The word personal will prevent confounding this operation with the outward perception of which we do not treat here and will recall to mind that its essential character is the addition of the notion of personality this figure is of course quite theoretical for it supposes an absurd thing namely that a man becomes at a given moment conscious of assimilates to his personality all the elementary sensations that are born in all his senses think what enormous masses of phenomena must spring up in us constantly from all the points of our body from the crowd of impressions made on our skin on our mucous membranes on the organs of our senses by all the outer and inner phenomena it is certain that a man never perceives them all there are always even in the most normal man a quantity of impressions that are born in one point of the skin reach to the brain determine a few reflexes awaken perhaps a few little states of elementary consciousness contribute no doubt to his general state of well-being or discomfort but are not clearly perceived by his personality a part only of these elementary sensations gives rise to complete and personal perception what is the number of those elementary phenomena that rise to complete consciousness of how many elementary sensations can we simultaneously have the complete consciousness this is what i proposed to call the problem of the extent of the field of consciousness by analogy as you see with the extent of the visual field this problem is not clearly resolved and psychologists have proposed very different figures the only essential and certain thing is that this extent of the field of consciousness varies very much with individuals and their states of mind an orchestral conductor hearing simultaneously all the instruments and following by reading or by memory the score of the opera unites in each of his states of consciousness an immense number of facts the individual who when asleep dreams and the patient during a crisis of ecstasy have, on the contrary, in their conscious thought a very limited number of facts. I think there are on this point perpetual and very nice variations of our mental state. If you understand this psychological conception well, you can easily apply it to the preceding phenomenon that we have just noted with our hysterical patients. Their first moral stigma, suggestion, already shows us the isolation of the ideal. It is because there is no reaction between the various impressions that each word, each emotion, each remembrance, takes an inordinate development which we call suggestibility. Suggestion, it is always said, depends on the absence of control. But control is nothing but the struggle, the competition of the various psychological states united in the same consciousness. If it is wanting, it is because the mind is too narrow to contain several ideas opposing one another. The second characteristic, exaggerated absent-mindedness. That abstraction bringing on all the blanks of consciousness is but another aspect of the same phenomenon. Our schema gives us the formula perfectly. Let us suppose, figure 22, an individual who cannot see, at a given moment, more than three elementary sensations, such as V, V', prime, A. He will leave all the rest in his subconsciousness. At another moment he will be able to turn to T, T', prime, V, or to M, V prime, A. At the first moment he will look at and listen to a person who speaks to him, without troubling about the tactile sensations which continue to assail him. At the second moment he will look at an object while touching it, and appreciate the contact without having consciousness of the surrounding noises. At the third moment he will write at dictation, having the perception of the sound of the voice, of the vision of the letters and of the muscular movements but forgetting and neglecting all the other elementary sensations as t t prime t double prime m prime m double prime v v double prime a prime a double prime this individual is absent-minded and this figure 22 is an attempt to schematize what is called normal absent-mindedness let us suppose that the field of consciousness becomes still more contracted the patient can no longer perceive more than two elementary sensations at once of necessity, too, he reserves this small share of perception for the sensations which seem to him, whether right or wrong, the most important, the sensations of sight and hearing. To have consciousness of what is seen or heard is of paramount necessity, and he neglects to perceive the tactile and muscular sensations, thinking he can do without them figure twenty-three. At the outset he might perhaps still turn to them and take them into his field of personal perception, at least for a moment, but the chance not presenting itself, The bad psychological habit is slowly formed. Nothing is more serious, more obstinate, than these moral habits. There is a crowd of maladies that are only psychological ticks. One day the patient, for he has truly become one now, is examined by the physician. The latter pinches his left arm, and asks him if he feels it, and the patient, to his great surprise, is obliged to confess that he can no longer feel consciously. The two long-neglected sensations have escaped his personal perception. He has become anaesthetic you may easily understand that the same notion of the contraction of the field of consciousness equally sums up the last phenomenon that of alternations it is because the field of consciousness remains contracted that you can never add one phenomenon on one side without taking one away from another side if you force the subject by attracting his attention to recover the sensibility of the left side he loses it on the right side if you obtain the total tactile sensibility the reduction of the visual field increases so much that the subject becomes momentarily blind a thing we have observed a number of times without having foreseen it if you wish to enlarge the visual field the tactile anesthesia will increase the feebleness of these patients thinking continues and they lose on one side what they seem to have regained on another i am therefore inclined to think that this notion of the retraction of the field of consciousness summarizes the preceding stigmata and we may say that their fundamental mental state is characterized by a special moral weakness, consisting in the lack of power, on the part of the feeble subject, to gather, to condense his psychological phenomena and assimilate them to his personality. Three. Formerly, I stopped at this point my description of the hysterical mental state, implying that all the other disturbances of their character could be connected with the preceding ones. It no longer seems to me absolutely true today. The hysteric malady is not absolutely isolated, like other mental disturbances. It is a special form which constitutes a part of a much more considerable group, and which is more or less distinguished from the other diseases belonging to this group. The patients we consider are first and above all neuropaths, individuals whose central nervous system is weakened. Then they are hystericals, when their enfeeblement takes a particular form i even affirm that they are more or less hysterical according as their malady takes a more or less decided turn in this determinate direction the result is that besides the properly hysterical stigmata they have general vague disturbances at once psychological and physiological which belong to all neuropathic individuals we cannot enter into the enumeration of these disturbances which besides would be more interesting in connection with other subjects but we must indicate them shortly under the title of common stigmata, which you understand now. I will point out to you in this connection certain feelings that play a role in the popular conception of hysteria. These subjects feel weak, dissatisfied with themselves. Their actions, ideas, feelings appear to them reduced, covered with a kind of veil. They are, therefore, perpetually tormented by a vague ennui which they cannot overcome. Ennui is the great stigma of all neuropaths he must not believe that it depends on surroundings the neuropath feels dull everywhere and always for no impression any longer brings about with him lively thoughts that make him pleased with himself these general sentiments of dissatisfaction these sentiments of incompleteness as i have christened them elsewhere almost always give to the patient a peculiar attitude or conduct either he is sunk in despondency and exhibits a doleful air or he seeks everywhere for something that can draw him out of this state Now he has but very few means at his disposal to rouse himself, to come out of such a painful state. Either he will use physical and moral processes of excitation, walking, jumping, crying, or he will appeal to other persons, and will incessantly ask them to excite him, to revive him through encouragements, through praises, and especially through devotion and love. You see what will result from these needs. These patients will be at the same time plaintive and agitated. They will commit all kinds of eccentricities, because eccentricity excites them and draws attention to them. They must needs attract attention to themselves, in order that people may take an interest in them, speak to them, praise, and above all, love them. This need of attracting attention, of being praised and loved, is one of the things that have been most remarked. In my opinion, it has always been wrongly interpreted. First of all, it is a clinical error to ascribe this character to hysteria it sometimes exists in a very high degree with hystericals but it is by no means a stigma peculiar to this malady it exists as well in the psychasthenic the amorous manias of doubters and of patients labouring under obsessions their mania of jealousy their need of attracting attention to themselves are often much stronger and especially more enduring than with hystericals this remark has very often caused errors of diagnosis Besides these feelings of incompleteness, we might enumerate with our hystericals, as with all neurasthenics whatsoever, the innumerable lapses of all the mental functions. We note in the intelligence a certain apparent vivacity, associated with the fundamental state of laziness and especially of reverie. These patients pay attention to nothing, can bear no mental work. Hysteria, like all neuroses, begins, among girls, with the cessation of their studies and the complete incapacity of learning anything in fact this incapacity of attention brings with it as a consequence the absence of memory events are not fixed in the mind whereas old remembrances relating to periods previous to the malady are well preserved and are even reproduced with an exaggerated automatism recent events pass without leaving any trace it is a disturbance of the memory which i have described under the name of continuous amnesia it is frequent with hystericals but it is not proper to them and it must be considered only as a common stigma the same alterations are found in the feelings which are weakened the subjects who seem so emotional in reality feel nothing vividly they are indifferent to all new feelings and confine themselves to reproducing with an automatic exaggeration a few old feelings always the same their emotions which seem so violent are not just that is to say they are not en rapport with the event that seems to call them up you always hear the same cries the same declamations whether the question is of a surprise or of a happy or an unfortunate event lastly the disturbances of their will are well known the patients no longer will or rather they can no longer do anything they can no longer make up their minds to anything hesitate indefinitely before the least thing i think even that they can no longer make up their minds to sleep and in many cases the so serious insomnia of neuropaths is a phenomenon of ebulia for they cannot even make up their minds whether they will remain awake or asleep. Of course it is especially new actions that will become difficult, and for a long time the patients go on with old actions, without being able to stop, before they enter a state in which they no longer do anything. This incapacity of beginning an act or an effort of attention, and this incapacity of stopping it when it is once begun, bring about the most serious disturbances. Most of the accidents might easily have been stopped at the outset we begin to dream because we wish to do so reverie is so pleasant we begin to eat sparingly in order to be thin to have a small waist and not to look like mamma we begin an annoyance get into tantrums but we were provoked to it all this as the patients will themselves confess might have been very easily stopped at the beginning but the act continues more and more automatically and the patient can no longer stop it herself it becomes a delirium an anorexia and an attack when i have begun something we heard a patient say i must go on with it i cannot stop i would break the windows kill myself i fall into an idea as down a precipice and the declivity is hard to climb again no doubt you will find all these phenomena of ebulia with all neuropaths but that is not a reason for neglecting them with hystericals they constitute with them common stigmata which add themselves to their proper stigmata and, besides, often assume a particular aspect under the influence of the latter. It is easy to summarize in a word these general disturbances of neuropaths. It is a mental depression characterized by the disappearance of the higher functions of the mind, with the preservation and often with an exaggeration of the lower functions. It is a lowering of the mental level. So we may say, in short, that hystericals present to us the following stigmata. A depression, a lowering of the mental level, which takes the special form of a retraction of the field of consciousness. End of section 14